Have you had a busy week in the market? Not had time to catch up with the latest trends? Well, welcome to Cloud9Fin, our suite of podcasts where we bring you the need-to-know information on deals, documentation, ESG, and we deep dive into the themes showing up in the high-yield, leveraged loans, and restructuring spaces. We also have our US podcast, which features discussions with members of the North American Levfin market with US editor Will Cager-Smith. So be sure to check in every second Thursday for that. I'm Catherine Hidalgo, a loans reporter at Ninefin, and I'll be your host for today when we'll be discussing how not all subsidiaries are created equal, discussing Ninefin's upcoming webinar, diving into sustainability-linked deal terms, and getting the latest update on the fight for control of LXO. But first, the Levfin wrap. After this month's excitement over La Liga bonds, the HY market is back to quiet, with no deal currently out. Only Inspired Education is out to market with a €250 million add-on loan to support an acquisition for the private education group. Commitments are due on June 8th and is currently talked at E plus 450 bips, a far cry from the business's original €465 million TLB, which priced in 2018 at Eurobor plus 325 bips. OID is currently talked at 96.5 to 97. The company is backed by Wahlberg, Pincus and TA Associates and Morgan Stanley is the lead book runner. Amid the quiet, analysts are staying focused on earnings calls, of which there have been many in the last couple of weeks. So far, analysts in the industrials, buildings, materials, spaces and chemical sector have been satisfied with overall numbers. One such success story is Selenis, which has reported above and beyond guidance off the back of continued strong demand for pool chemicals, according to a source. Another buy-sider was keen to stress that management across their credits have been measured with their approach to inflation, which is being borne by both customers and suppliers at this early stage. Nevertheless, buy-siders are quick to point out that we're only seeing Q1 numbers right now and inflation will likely hit Q2 figures much harder. The food sector, for example, is already suffering with the likes of Labourie, a French fine foods producer, and Sorelia, a baked goods manufacturer, showing particular strain. Individual credits in the industrial space have also shown signs of suffering, including elevated components manufacturer Vita, whose loans have taken a dive recently due to exposure to the Chinese market, which makes up 35% of revenue. Amid lockdowns in Shanghai and Shenzhen, the company's total net leverage has reached around 10 times. Next up, we have the Covenant close-up. Today I'm going to be speaking with our lovely head of Covenant Research, Caitlin Carey. Thanks so much for being with us. Hello, Kat. Good to be here. So as the Ninefin dedicated will know, we have started a series called Ninefin Educational, which explains various different concepts in the leveraged finance universe. We've already put out a report on today's topic, understanding why not all subsidiaries are created equal. This topic follows on from our previous European pod, which was put out two weeks ago. Uh, So go back to that one, um, give it a listen if you'd like. But as a very quick refresher, the restricted group refers to entities which are restricted by the covenants of the relevant loan or bond and typically includes the borrower and its subsidiaries. On the other hand, unrestricted subsidiaries sit outside of the group for purposes of the financing instrument, akin to third parties in this regard. So we'll continue on this theme today. So tell us, Caitlin, why are some subsidiaries less equal than others? 
Yeah, sure. Thank you, Kat. So you have these restricted subsidiaries, but then even within that group, you might have guarantors and you might have non-guarantors. Um, so then I think this is another point of confusion that people sometimes have. They think that restricted subsidiaries are the same thing as guarantors um, or that unrestricted subsidiaries are the same thing as non-guarantors. And that is not the case. So, you know, even within the restricted group, within the dotted line of entities that are subject to the covenants, you'll have those that guarantee and have basically become liable because, you know, they've signed up to the, to the agreement saying, you know, that they've, you know, provided a, you know, explicit guarantee for the debt instrument, loan or bond, versus a, a non-guarantor, which has not basically given a guarantee. And that entity, if it's not been designated as an unrestricted subsidiary, it's still going to be a restricted subsidiary. And so it'll still have to comply with the covenants. It's just the fact that that the non-guarantor entity won't have provided a guarantee, won't have provided any, any credit support. And so sometimes in the covenants, there are distinctions made between guarantor restricted subsidiaries and non-guarantor restricted subsidiaries. These will be things like they might um, restrict um, the ability of non-guarantors to um, incur debt under certain debt baskets or impose a limitation on, on the ability to, um, to incur certain debt. They might require that non-guarantors become guarantors in certain situations um, if, if they become guarantors under other significant debt instruments. Um, so, so there are some kind of like nuances there when you get to like non-guarantor restricted subsidiaries and why that distinction um, is, is important too. But, you know, I think the, the, the thing to, to note is that, generally speaking, they're still all restricted subsidiaries. And, and going to back to a point I made earlier, um, transactions within the restricted group as a whole, so even between guarantors and non-guarantors, are generally not going to be restricted under high-yield-style covenants. Um, so, so again, like if, if sort of, you know, assets transfer from one entity to another or, you know, certain, you know, there are, again, nuances, but like, you know, certain intercompany transactions, um, you know, are, are, are generally going to be allowed um, for, for, for purposes of, of high yield style covenants. Um, and, and so that's definitely something to keep an eye on and why it's very important to, to care about, like, the guarantor coverage that that investors have, um, you know, it, you know, I think loans in particular will have guarantor coverage requirements. Um, bonds, you know, don't necessarily have a guarantor coverage requirement. So, um, you know, sometimes there's there's piggybacking there off the you know provision that that's in the loan. Next up, we have please raise responsibly our segment on ESG. Today, I have the pleasure of announcing our upcoming ESG webinar when we'll be diving into sustainability-linked deal terms. It's free and open to all, even if you're not subscribed to Ninefin. So the way that we came upon this topic was that I've been speaking to a number of buy-siders who have been taking the opportunity during this primary quiet to get a handle on their ESG frameworks. They're getting to know their eco Vardis from their Sustainalytics. They're looking at reporting standards and separating the wheat ratchets from the chaff. If you're one of these buy-siders, I have no doubt you'll be keen to hear what the expert credit and ESG teams from Ninefin have to say on these topics. 
Now, I've had strict instruction from the Ninefin team not to give away too much today, but webinar attendees will have the chance to dig deeper into some of the concepts that we often discuss on the podcasts. For example, how can margin ratchets be made meaningful, whether they are based on current or future targets or linked to unspecified targets? Or how can you identify a strong ESG package from a weak one? Uh, using KPI and sustainability performance target analysis. We also touch on emerging ESG battlegrounds in documentation, particularly in loans. As ever, we at Ninefin promise to use granular information and real-world examples from the past year, leveraging our ESG database and dedicated team. Yours truly will be leading the discussion, and if that's not enough to get you to attend, I can also promise credit analysts and Cloud9Fin regular contributors, Josh Latham and Alex Manolopoulos, will be speaking as well to provide insight on bonds and loans respectively. We'll also have a Q&A session at the end for your most pertinent ESG-related questions. Numbers for the webinar are already building nicely, I've been told. So if you're interested, as I'm most sure you are, please see 9fin.com slash insights. The webinar will be showing at 2pm BST on June 23rd. Next up, we have the deep discussion where we discuss a topic a little bit more deeply. Today, I have with me a new joiner, the lovely distressed debt reporter, Bianca Bora. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bianca. Thank you so much for having me. She's already smashed out her first story for us. Um, so today, we're going to be talking about a case that's playing out between Noble Pina's acting manager, Berkeley Research Group, or BRG, and Aries Management. Uh, for anyone that's not following the story, Noble Pina is best known for its investment in NSO software, the maker of Pegasus Spyware, which has come under fire for its ability to tap phones secretly. Um, it's also been connected with the death of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Um, so in this context, it's understandable that the fund has been uh, distressed of late and the founders of the company have been involved with some disagreements with each other um, as such the fund is currently being liquidated uh, in an effort to repay investors and uh, that's a task made all the more difficult by the fact that NSO has been deemed valueless by BRG in high court. Uh, in addition to NSO, the 1 billion euro fund also owns a casino operator out of Estonia called OEG as well as Laboratoire XO, which we'll focus on today. So this story regards the control of LXO, which is currently being disputed by its sole lender, Aries Management and BRG. Uh, but before we get to that dispute, what does LXO currently look like financially, Bianca? Yeah, so um, Noble Pina bought LXO, which manufactures the hypertension drug Loxin, for 190 million euros in November 2020, according to a source close. Alexo generated 47.5 million euros in sales, according to its 2020 reports. Um, its EBITDA was expected to be 25 million in 2020, according to a Noble Pina presentation um, to investors in July 2020, uh, which we have seen. And the presentation added that it had less than 1 million uh, euros of CapEx per year. Um, Noble Pina's intention at the time when it acquired it was to double the size of LXO during 
during its investment period. Um, LXO's revenues in 2021 were expected to rise to 64 million and then to 78 million in 2022, up to 103.2 million in 2025. EBITDA was expected to hit 30.8 million in 2021. 36.7 million in 22, rising to 47.4 million in 2025. Uh, the healthcare group was expected to generate 20.6 million of unlevered free cash flow in 2020, 21.8 in 2021, 21.7 in 22, up to 24.3 in 25. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for that, Bianca. So, um, what's the background on this dispute on LXO? Yes, you sort of mentioned the background with with NSO. Um, I mean, LXO was sort of the, you know, the, the valuable asset and for, for them to lose it is uh, a big setback for BRG because you mentioned that their they're sort of their mandate is to, to liquidate these assets for the investors. The FT reported on the 10th of May that Aries had refused to extend a change of control waiver under a 150 million loan it lent to LXO. Uh, the change of control was initially triggered when BRG took over Noble Peanut. Um, I think it was in July last summer. Um, after BRG took over, um, Aries had extended waivers for around five months while it was trying to come to a mutual agreement um, with BRG. And eventually it lost patience and took matters into its own hands and took over the asset. Um, so it basically, essentially it wants to repay its facility with the... Um, any sale proceeds that it um, gets from selling the assets and anything it gets over that valuation. So the the debt that it is owed is drawn around 100 million euros um, plus any accrued, uh, accrued interest. So anything over that it plans to distribute to the investors in Noble Pina's fund. Um, so BRG uh, want to essentially reverse this process um, because it's not very happy it lost the asset. Uh, in a statement last week, it said that it... Um, it plans to vigorously challenge uh, Aries' takeover of LXO and that it will take all necessary steps to ensure that the fund's interest in LXO is restored as quickly as possible. Um, insofar as its steps to achieve this, it managed to, um, so on the 10th of May, it managed to temporarily stop a potential sale by obtaining an injunction from the UK High Court, uh, which essentially blocks Aries from selling its shares in LXO until the 20th of May. Sounds like a very exciting process. What comes next? So, yeah, I mean, the injunction has expired. Um, I mean, I'm just sort of posturing here, but <laughs> BRG can, you know, try to extend the injunction uh, in the UK court. Um, it could try and challenge it in the Luxembourg courts, which is where the share enforcement took place. Um, but I think the more likely scenario from, from speaking to sources is that they want to come to an agreement outside of court with, to try and essentially convince Aries to sell it back to BRG. Um, and, you know, as, as we mentioned earlier, they want to essentially, you know, cover their debt. So the price for that would have to be um, around 100 million euros of the drawn debt. And it would probably have to include in premium on top of that. And I'm afraid that's all we have time for today on Cloud9Fin. Many thanks to Caitlin and to Bianca and, of course, to you too, listener. Tune in for the US edition next week and the European pod the week after. And in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. If you have any input on the podcast or would like to speak on it, feel free to get in touch at team at ninefin.com.